Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And we started our our series on tithing, and we've taken a few uh, rabbit trails, uh, which, of course, as I say, rabbit trails in the nature always circle out and come back to where they began. So rabbit trails are good because it gives you a lay of the land. And uh, that's one of the problems is that people do not read things in the context of when they were written, uh, the history, the uh, meaning of words at that time. Uh, they can they can quickly become confused as to what the author was trying to tell you, which is why you need the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that they have the Holy Spirit because they have an emotional feeling and they identify that emotional feeling as the Holy Spirit. And uh, they like to think they have the Holy Spirit. And this is why Christ warns us uh, very dramatically that uh, many will think that they're coming in Christ's name. They think that because they think they have the Holy Spirit. But they are actually workers of iniquity which is quite the opposite of having the Holy Spirit. Now, they think they have the Holy Spirit, but they don't. They think they're saved, but they are not. They think they are following Christ, but they are not. He didn't say a few. He said many would do this. And, of course, there were many people at the time of Jesus Christ that thought they were following Moses, but they did not even know Moses because had they known Moses, they would have known Jesus Christ. At the same time, those people who thought they knew Moses were reading the Torah. They were reading it in Hebrew. They were studying it. They were following some sort of religious beliefs and rituals. But yet, they did not actually know Moses. They thought they did, but they didn't. Same is true today. Many people think they know Christ, but they don't. They are in need of repentance. They don't quite know the whole Christ, the real Christ. They, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, I've actually had, uh, when I was, uh, working in Minneapolis many, many years ago before I was married, there were two young boys standing at the door of the kitchen where I was the cook for a convalescent home. And they were standing there and staring at me. And I said, can I help you? One of the boys standing there pointed to his friend and said, You look just like his dad. <laughs> and so I turned to the boy he was pointing to and I, I said, Do I look like your dad? And the boy just staring in like with chin drop stare looked at me and, and did a yes head movement that uh, I look just like his dad. <laughs> And, you know, a lot of people think you look familiar or look somewhat like somebody. But close relatives, they know the person so well, they look at him and they say, oh, no, you don't look anything like him because they see him much differently. They see all the detail. 
if you just casually know somebody, you can be fooled. So, you know, I was really anxious to see this double ganger sometime. I never did get a chance to see him. But uh, anyway, uh, the reality is that people look out at Christ and they read things about Christ. And they read the Bible. And they get it. They draw an image of Christ in their mind. What they think Christ was like. I mean, we have people who paint pictures. Uh, but not just the picture, but the actual, you know, why he was saying what he said, why he was doing what he did. And we have these words and phrases and descriptions of things that he did and why he did them in the biblical text. And then, of course, we have lots of people writing about the biblical text. And in all that reading and uh, listening to preachers, we draw an image, a character uh, characterization and of Christ in our mind as to what we think and who we think Christ is. And then we worship that image that we have created and with the help of preachers and pastors and what have you, that we, we worship that image. And anybody who points out something about Christ that is contradictory to the image that we have settled on is obviously a heretic. And we had, uh, we have a number of people that have, you know, read some of the things that we write about or talk about. And they get all upset. And, uh, and one in particular we, we talked, well, actually we talked about several of them in our troll series, you can go to preparingyou.com and, and search for the word troll. And uh, there's audios there that go over what, what these trolls are, these modern day trolls, the ancient trolls, of course, and then the modern version of the troll, which we see on uh, the internet. And uh, and we eventually, down in the lower, uh, in, in, there's a list there of the different audios and some of the things that are on we talk about some people who are kind of professional trolls on the internet go around and they blame they 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 badmouth everybody and of course we ended up being on their long list of people they badmouth and then we had somebody who was you know seemingly a nice guy and on a number of home church christian groups and he was badmouthing us and so i i asked him you know in private messages and uh on our own webpage, what is it that you have a complaint about? And, of course, he says that we preach a gospel other than Jesus Christ. Well, what we preach is out there in abundance. Lots of articles, books, everything available for free online. And so he thinks that something we're preaching is contrary to Christ. So I asked, what is it that he thinks is contrary to Christ? And he does he doesn't realize it, but he never actually says what it is that we say that he thinks is contradicting Christ. He never actually pins it down. He just says that we are and and anybody who preaches something other than Christ you know is bad and all these kinds of things, but he never actually pins down. And he's very emotional about the whole thing, but he never actually pins down what it is that he thinks that we say that is contradicting Christ. And that should be easy. 
if if we are contradicting Christ, because what we say is out there, what Christ is saying is out there. So you should be able to say, you say this, but Christ says that. And But he never does that. Because, actually, I think the reason he's so upset is that we're actually getting close to what he has not been willing to see that Christ said. And uh, But the fact that he can't actually pin anything down is evidence that the conflict is in him. He's the one that's all upset. So, you know, are you one of those many who uh, is supposedly following Christ and are actually deluded? Because that's another thing. They talk about strong delusion. Uh, Peter talks about people uh, being made merchandise and being entangled again in the elements of the world. And James talks about, well, how do you know? By their works, by what they're doing, because you can be fooled. John talks about being able to be fooled and deceived. All the apostles, and of course, like I said, Christ himself, warned that we could be deceived where we actually think we are following Christ and we are doing the opposite of what Christ said. We are actually warring against Christ in some uh, situations. Because we don't accept the wholeness of Christ and his gospel of the kingdom. So, you know, if if we're wrong, we want to hear from you. Uh, but we want you to actually tell us what you think it is that we're saying that is so wrong. Because just saying that we're wrong, we can't defend that. I could say, no, we're not. <laughs> and you could say, yes, you are. And I could say, no, we're not. And we could go on like that forever. But if you can't pin it down, and like I say, it should be easy because what we say is out there in abundance. You certainly could go through all that or some of it and find somewhere where we say something that is absolutely contradictory to Christ. But we don't get that. Uh, we don't even get that from the heads of seminaries and stuff. So the question is, is how did you get under such a strong delusion? If you are one of those. And of course, I I know most of you are going to think, well, I'm not. Yeah, those other, you know, those Lutherans are, or those uh, Jehovah Witnesses are, or those Catholics are, but I'm not, because I'm a Presbyterian, or whatever you are. But the reality is, is that's not how you know. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you remain self-deceived. Can you be fooled? Have you been fooled? You know, Abraham Lincoln said you can you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. Well, actually, it appears that he didn't actually say that. There's no really proof that he didn't actually say that because it's very hard to prove a negative like that. Uh, but there is no evidence that he actually said it. I mean, it's attributed to that he may have said it in uh, uh, sp speaking in Clinton, Illinois, uh, in a debate with uh, Douglas uh, during his presidential run. Uh, actually, it was in about 1858. And some people said he said it even before that. But there is no recorded evidence at that time of him saying that, that anybody can find. And there's, there's a lot of people have been looking for a long time. But it is attributed to him. But it seems that it was attributed to him mostly in advertising campaigns. Uh, for everything from root beer to beer and uh, many other products. 
uh, used to like that because they were always saying how trustworthy their product is and that their competitors are fooling you. <laughs> so, but that seems to be. Uh, it wasn't until about 1891 that it was. Uh, uh, it was officially uh, reported in uh, a book about Abraham Lincoln as being stated by Lincoln. There are some references back in uh, 1888 of it being his, but maybe it's not. So um, anyway, the point is, is can you be fooled? I mean, we may be fooled that Lincoln said that, but whether he said it or not, it's true that, you know, just about everybody can be fooled. I've been fooled probably more than once. Am I incorrect about what we're preaching about the gospel of the kingdom? And so that's that's a worthy debate, a worthy discussion to try to find out. So anyway, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln said a lot of things. He said, uh, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in. To bind up the nation's wounds. Now, this obviously was after the Civil War, and uh, he was, and he might have done a good job at binding up those wounds. Abraham Lincoln didn't do everything right by any means. He actually once said, "Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power." Well. That's what they did when they elected him president, is they gave him power. And, of course, he was tempted by the Saul syndrome as much as any other man. And, actually, he wanted to have the entire Supreme Court arrested because they were saying he was doing things that were unconstitutional. Which, actually, he was doing some things that were unconstitutional. Uh, I think the Civil War was a huge mistake. I think it would have been a lot cheaper to uh, free the slaves in other ways. But... Uh, Destiny has its hand. And the South was doing a lot of things it should not have been doing. And the North immediately jumped on that and did a lot of things they shouldn't be doing. But it wasn't the presence of Christ in men that brought about the Civil War. Uh, there was absolutely no reason to bring about the Civil War in order to end slavery. Like I said, there are many cheaper ways they could have ended slavery uh, with uh, a lot less death and carnage. But Anyway, it is what it is. But this idea of giving power to someone can corrupt him. And the fact is, in a democracy, power is given to the masses. And the masses get to rule over the minority. And so everybody is fighting to obtain that majority vote where 51% can rule over the other 49. This is why... This is why for years and years the Democratic Party was advocating strong borders, border fences, actually talking about billions of dollars to build border fences, saying we needed to do this, we needed to be firm on this, and that if you come into the country illegally, you should be sent back. Schumer said this, Clinton said it, Obama said it, they all said it over and over again. But now, when somebody actually wants to build that wall, uh, it's a bad thing. Personally, like I said many times, that if we were actually following Christ, all the people who say they are Christians were actually following Christ, we wouldn't need a wall. We would be the wall. 
Uh, but unfortunately, as long as you want to have a social democracy or a democratic socialism, which is what the Democrats seem to be pushing for, and and unfortunately, the Republicans are not against that that much either, because <laughs> they want to buy votes. They want to get votes. And of course, that's why the Democrats want large numbers of illegal aliens, and they want them in their cities. And that's why they want to make sanctuary cities, not because they love illegal aliens, but because somebody has done the demographics, that if you get them all in your city and you allow them to vote, which is another thing they want to do, is allow foreigners to meddle in the election, which they claim that Trump did <laughs> with the Russians, uh, they want to do this to get votes so that they can get power. Uh, and that's what, if you, cr and the problem isn't the Democrats or the Republicans, the problem is the people. The people have created a system, a government, become more and more dependent upon it, and become fit for the first dictator that comes along. And how did they do this? Well, Polybius tells you, and we tell you over and over again, we show you in history that when you do or not do those weightier matters that Jesus talks about, which all churches should be encouraging their congregations to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Because that's what Christ said. He condemned the Pharisees because they weren't doing that. So churches go around and say, oh, we're just concerned with the afterlife. We're not really concerned with the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Actually, recently there was a radio program in a local city near here. And there was a guy who was a guest on that. And he mentioned me. Uh, he mentioned my son. Uh, he mentioned uh, my uh, daughter-in-law. And every single fact that I so far know that he said about us, I haven't listened to the program, but evidently everybody in the county government down there in Lake County, because it involves Lake County, where I live, was sitting there listening to this. And he was saying things about us that just simply are not true. And it would never happen. He wasn't saying bad things. He was actually saying all kinds of good things about us. But he was also saying that we did this and this. I won't go into all of it. But anyway, the radio program may have me on to clarify the situation. It had to do with a uh, a dump in Alkali Lake, uh, Oregon, which is in Lake County. There, They dumped all the residue from the manufacturer of Agent Orange, which amounted to like 1.25 million gallons of toxins <laughs> they dumped it in our county in order to save them lots of money and created a, a, one of the well some some scientists say is one of the greatest toxic spills in the united states and they did it here in our county and there are solutions to this but uh, there aren't too many level heads that can find it and i wrote a letter years ago when the without going into all the detail, when they, they were trying to settle with the, the big mega corporation that did this or is responsible for it. They didn't all do it. Another long story. But my letter, according to all the lawyers fighting this uh, need for a cleanup, said was the turning point that stopped them from getting away with literally murder. <laughs> so, Although... That's been 10 years now, and they really haven't done anything. 
which takes you back to the same thing you see right now, the U.S. government, as we're doing this particular podcast and radio show. Uh, the government is uh, still shut down for two weeks now, I guess, and uh, shut down because they want to raise the debt ceiling. And they won't pass a bill to raise the debt ceiling until they get money for their wall. And now the Democrats don't want the wall because there's a guy with orange hair who says he wants the wall. They said they wanted it, but when he wanted it, they changed their mind. They flip-flopped. And the reality is, is what they've realized is that, you know, they they never wanted a wall. They want to bring in as many illegal immigrants who will get on social welfare because that's where that's their voter constituency. Uh, their their support comes from millionaires, who I mean they win in most of the uh, places where you know big money dwells, but uh, they cater to get the majority vote. This is why they want to do away with the electoral college as well. Uh, they cater to that vote because they want to get, you know, they want to buy the votes of the poor. The poor don't realize it, that their socialist programs is what's making them poor. And they they don't understand that because they're not on firm ground. But again, if both Democrats and uh, Republicans and Libertarians and Constitutionalists and all the other little parties would repent and seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, all these problems would go away. And unfortunately, they probably all won't. But guess what? If you do, you can get onto the winning side of the equation. And that's what happened as the, during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, which we're going we're gonna to talk about. Uh, probably uh, we'll get to a guy from Canada who was talking about all the problems with America and why America were seeing the decline and fall of the American empire. And he's got everything completely backwards and upside down. He's calling evil good and good evil. And he, he has a little mem that's going around and has these little, uh, little catchphrases about the problem. And he's got everything backwards. And we're going to take a look at that so that you can maybe straighten out some of your thinking. Because it's easy to fall into this false dichotomy of thinking. And you can you can get stuck there. And that's another thing Abraham Lincoln said. He said, be sure you put your feet in the right place, then stand firm. The problem is a lot of people are putting their feet in the wrong place and standing firm. <laughs> or at least firm until... You know, a guy comes along and then they will flip-flop entirely on what they were standing firm on and say the absolute opposite. And I'm, I don't want to pick a... We're talking about Donald Trump. I don't want to belittle him. I don't want to be fine defending him either, but I have to <laughs> because both sides are wrong. Anyway, we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. The biased media always refers to Trump, and I think that's it's kind of funny that they do this, uh, the media is so biased towards Trump, towards his wife, Melania. It's it's just shocking. I find myself wanting to run to their defense uh, because they are so unfairly biased. It's ridiculous. And, and that is, you know, that's the last thing I want to do is have to run to their defense. I'm here preaching Christ. I don't want to preach uh, Donald Trump. 
I really don't know the guy. I don't think we know any of the the only candidate or president that I ever met was uh, George Bush Jr. <laughs> and he was eight years old at the time, or about around eight years old at the time. I don't know actually how old he was, and I only met him for one day at a barbecue. But uh, I didn't like him then. <laughs> I didn't had no idea he'd run for president uh, someday. But uh, the reality is is that uh, our solution is not in political parties or candidates. And they are what they are. I, I don't want to say anything against them. But if somebody is flip-flopping like Schumer does, I mean, it's just so obvious that he is. Obama did. Clinton did. All these guys did on what they think is a good policy at one time and then suddenly becomes uh, something of derision and, and condemnation at another time. Uh, but I've just given you in the earlier part of the show some of the hints of what's going on there. But what we really want to take a look at, and this is always the danger, we look at the faults of other people, and certainly all these people from Trump to Schumer have faults. We can forget to look at the one thing that is going to actually make a difference in our life, which is our faults. And uh, are we subject? Are we being fooled? Are we being deceived? And how how will we know whether or not we are? Then, of course, like I say, James says, by their works you shall know them. And so what does that mean? By our works, we will know whether we're being fooled or not being fooled. You know, so this is very important. Uh, one of the things that you see rising up in America more so than well, I don't know about more so, but you see it a lot today, is that everybody is taking offense. And and that brings me to another quote of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, we should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it. Well, actually, my New Year's resolution is that I'm going to be concerned, uh, more concerned about giving offense and less concerned about people who take offense <laughs> because unless you know and that's what I I don't want to give offense uh, towards any of these people I think that I'm not trying to attack the individual I'm trying to point out certain principles that we see in public figures to examine those characteristics to make sure that they're not also in us because our salvation doesn't depend upon us finding what's wrong with other people but confessing what is wrong with us and then then when we do that we can clean our own house and God can enter into our minds and our hearts but if we're spending all our time condemning everybody else that they're the problem uh, that it's their responsibility it's their fault uh, we're not going to get better and so, pointing out these errors in people in America, I'm sure you could go to Germany, Merkel, all these other people. I mean, I just posted on uh, the Brother Gregory Facebook page one of the PragerU videos on the suicide of Europe and what's going on. And uh, the leaders are literally, with the help of the people, committing suicide, social suicide, cultural suicide, and probably eventually physical suicide 
because uh, Europe's going to become a mass of violence and uh, destruction, uh, given the right set of circumstances, which are probably not far away, that they will, you know, that was just like, oh, I was, it was a ridiculous figure. It was like 20 tons of ammunition and weapons were being brought in in cargo containers in America. And supposedly they contain furniture, but uh, uh, ICE or, or immigration, uh, not immigration, but border guys found it. This is the one they found. I mean, we hear about, you know, thousands of uh, people trying to get across the border who are criminals and are caught every year. Uh, sex traffickers, uh, human traffickers caught every year. Thousands of them moving children across the border in sex trafficking uh, situations and uh, just human trafficking. So they bring some of these across to put them into sweatshops and, and force them into literally almost like labor camps. And they're doing this. And that's the ones we catch. Well, how many don't we catch? <laughs> Guess they're not catching them all. Uh, so the reality is, is uh, anyway, they caught all these weapons coming in and evidently connected to uh, Muslim groups. And you don't even hardly hear about it on the news. I mean, why are they needing tens of thousands of pounds or tons of of armaments coming into this country? Uh, it's, it's crazy crazy insane stuff going on behind the scenes and the media again back to that bias doesn't report these things i mean you find a, a camp of people and i don't want to pick on muslims all the time because all muslims are not like this but these are the radical muslims out there training small children to kill and to become terrorists and evidently cause the death of one of their own what, three-year-old child and stuff and Where's the outrage? Why aren't these people uh, being arrested, kept in jail, you know, locked down, tried, everything? I mean, if it, it's just crazy. The bias is allowing this kind of stuff to go on. So, if, but those are the extreme cases of bias. Now, what about, do we have bias in us that is distorting the way we look at things? Because, with the Holy Spirit entering into us, the real Holy Spirit, not the emotional one, the real one, we will have a defense against these things and against the spirits that dwell in them. The suicide of Europe, and I, I didn't go into it on the Facebook page. I just kind of made a, asked a little question. And But if you go back and you look at our troll uh, article and, and the audios that go along with it, we do explain it there, as that this troll spirit, this idea of putting everybody else down, and and by doing that, putting ourselves up on some sort of imaginary pedestal. I mean, we don't think of it in those terms, but that's what we're really doing. That's what the troll is doing. That opens a door to a self-destructive spirit. And that's, of course, the, the extreme of that is where you have somebody who's no longer satisfied with trolling on the Internet. He now goes down to some school or a gun-free zone and shoots all kinds of people. And then when caught, shoots himself. Because that spirit is the spirit of destruction and suicide. He's going to kill himself. When Christ 
cast out. People don't understand the, you know, I was on a, a group, uh, biblical theology, but they really don't want to know <laughs> biblical theology, which is, theology is the study of God. How things work in God's universe, which includes not only the physical universe, but the spiritual universe. So how does God, because if you understand that, then you'll understand the physical universe because the spirit came first. But how does God's universe work? Now here's this demon in a guy, and Jesus casts out the demon, but the demon doesn't want to be cast into the pit. What does that mean, cast into the pit? Uh, instead, Jesus casts the demon out into swine and that were on the hillside. And the swine commit suicide once the spirit is in them. What is the mechanics of that? I mean, you want to study metaphysics? <laughs> you want to study physics? There's metaphysics for you. Well, the reality is, if you open your heart to the spirit of evil, you open your heart to the spirit of suicide. And that's why people always say suicide is the unforgiven sin and everything, which I think most people don't even understand that. And I'm, if, if you have loved ones who died from suicide, I'm not saying they're burning in hell or any of those such nonsense. But the reality is that suicide is the result of evil taking possession of an individual. And that's what was happening with the individual before Christ cast out the evil that was in him and then that evil went into the pigs and then the pigs killed themselves. But that's what you see in the spirit of the troll. If you let the spirit of the troll enter into you, uh, you and this comes in many different forms, that it will lead to a self-destructive spirit, which, you know, most most successful, most people who try to commit suicide are women. But most people who succeed at suicide are men. Why? Because men are more aggressive. Men, men are more likely to, you know, they they have this aggressive power. So if it's channeled in the direction of suicide, they're more successful at suicide because that usually takes, you know, women are more likely to take pills. Uh, it's very rare that women take a, you know action of putting a gun to their head. It's not the instrument that they would use. I mean, what did they always say? The 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 weapon of women was poison. Was in I can't remember the uh, the author that uh, infers that. But the reality is that that's a less aggressive way of killing. But the what you want to avoid, what you want to seek, is the truth. And by seeking the truth, you avoid that suicidal, destructive spirit that will you know, destroy their own children and then kill themselves. We see that pattern repeated over and over again. Those are the extreme. The minor examples of that is maybe sending your kids to public school or sending your kids to uh, with friends you know are a bad influence on them. And, you know, I've actually seen mothers who put their children in a way, place where the children might be corrupted, likely to be corrupted, because they themselves was corrupt when they were young. So they turn a blind eye to it. And it's very subtle. They don't really think it all out. And, and most of the day, they want the best for their kids. And they, because they have this dichotomy, 
in themselves this this uh, this conflict in themselves well you want to resolve that conflict by seeing the truth about yourself in order to do that there's going to be some pain involved i'm i'm saying these things not to give offense but there's no way i can tell you the truth without endangering the possibility that you will take offense at what i'm saying so you know and the reality is you can you, you can offend some people all the time and probably all people some of the time but you can't offend all the people all the time which is similar to that same uh, statement of abraham lincoln but uh, like i said abe lincoln said we should be too big to take offense and too noble to give it and i don't want to give offense but there's no way I can tell you the truth without endangering the possibility you will take offense. That's just one thing we see in society, which is kind of my point, is that everybody, you know, you know, they're triggered, uh, they're offended, uh, and this is the big complaint that uh, you've said something that hurts me and offends me, and so now I'm going to take away your right to freedom of speech. When I was growing up, it was sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Because my parents were trying to teach me to be so noble that I would not take offense at uh, what other people said. That I, I, my happiness was not dependent upon other people's opinion. My happiness was dependent upon God's opinion. And I wanted to know God's opinion. And I wanted to please God. I didn't want to please my neighbor. I wanted to please God. Now, God told me to love my neighbor. So, yeah, my neighbor comes into the equation. But whether my uh, neighbor takes the, the offense or not, that's another whole thing. There's, there's a whole movie. And actually, I read an article recently about Mother Teresa. Because, you know, the Catholic Church trying to make her a saint. She wasn't even really a Catholic when she started out. Uh, but the Catholic Church was one of the few churches that was supporting her work of helping the poor in India. So she eventually set up, you know, after the fact, a religious order uh, to operate through. And people say, well, she wasn't just helping the poor. She was trying to convert people to the Catholicism. Other people said she was trying to convert people to Christianity. And what she was trying to do is take people out of some of the cultural influences that brought about this poverty, you know, and, and the caste system that perpetuated that poverty, and get them thinking more like Christ. And so she believed in tough love. And so that if people wanted to cling to their false culture or their the bad things in their culture, uh, she she was not tolerant to that. She would not support that. She wanted the people to change. The idea of helping everybody out who's poor as if being poor is some sort of achievement or virtue is not good. That weakens the poor. And and Democrats don't understand that. Or at least a lot of Democrats don't. I don't want to put it in a category of the left doesn't understand that. Um, and then even even the idea of the left. I mean, there's the far left, <laughs> the moderate left, the leaning left. Um, 
And then over there on the right, half the people on the right are really actually left of center. So what is center? Center is righteousness. You know, it's compassion, but tough love at the same time. And that seems, you know, I never met Mother Teresa, but that seems to be what she was doing. She was trying to teach people how to be selfless at the same time of helping them out. And many cultures don't allow that. And that's, of course, what Merkel and uh, many of the other leaders in, in Europe have not realized. And they eventually realized, and they have said now, most of them have said multiculturalism, multi, multiculturalism does not work. That people came, they, they should have been inviting people who come and wanted to assimilate at least into the basic standards of culture in those countries. Hard work, industry, you know. I mean, some of the cultural practices of the Germans and the Teutons was great. But culture is a many-faceted creature. And so there, you can take certain aspects of that and it can become self-destructive. Because really the division is in another place. It's not just culture. But some cultures bring with them lots of bad ideas and bad things and, and make evil, they call evil, virtue. You know, uh, oppression, virtue. And that's... I mean, it's written into their codes. <laughs> so, you know, it's like the, I hate to bring this up, and maybe we shouldn't do it at the, this time. Well, you can you can go read what we talk about, the White Pine Constitution of the Indians not preparing you. Lots of good ideas in the original format of that Constitution, but it wasn't actual words. It was, it was all in these beaded symbols. And so then along come guys who interpret those beaded symbols, and they bring in ideas like manifest destiny, which is what Indians now condemn uh, Europeans for having this concept of manifest destiny when we find it in their original constitution that they would oppress others who did not agree with their white pine con uh, confederation. That they would they would depress them out of existence even they would disarm them take away all their weapons uh, persecute them and even destroy them and annihilate them entirely they will not repent and conform to the white pine constitution that's the interpretation that some got from the original pictorial confederation you know on on these beaded objects well. That shows that there, I don't believe that was in the spirit of the original author of the ideas of that constitution, but it got in there. And so, but that comes from the fact that they didn't have a written language. But we have a written language and we miss it, which you can go read our contracts, constitution, uh, covenants and constitutions, uh, the book, uh, and the book Higher Liberty. And we go through and show you Biblically, what should be in a constitution and of the five things that are listed in the Bible to write down for your leaders, if you're going to have leaders who can exercise authority, only one of them appears in the constitution. And I'm not telling everybody to rewrite the constitution, but understanding these processes can actually help you understand the processes in your own life, in your relationship with your family, your friends, your neighbors the people you congregate with. And the importance is, is that 
that you have to be above taking offense. And if you are filled and walking in forgiveness, you won't take offense. If you are easily offended or if you take offense from somebody who speaks the truth to you, which is what we see going on, then you, your problem actually originates in you, your lack of forgiveness. And that's what you see in these people who are so easy to take, take offense from somebody who just speaks what they believe to be the truth. They don't mean any offense. They're just trying to speak the truth. But they take the truth as an offense. They are very unforgiving, very angry, very uh, full of hate. And full of that self-destructive spirit, which I see growing in societies all around the world today. And so you need to guard against the fact that you may be taking offense from somebody just trying to share with you some truths. And in the process of maybe doing that, uh, using the Bible and Christ and, and, and trying to correlate these ideas to our present world. Another thing that uh, Abraham Lincoln said is America will never be destroyed from the outside. If we falter and lose our freedoms, it will be because we destroyed ourselves. And of course, that's what we see in Europe. And that is actually what we're seeing now in the world today. So that's why I say my my New Year's resolution is uh, more concerned about giving uh offense so that I don't actually try to say something to offend somebody and I usually don't but less concerned about people who take offense because that's what they're doing they're drawing they want to be offended they want to be angry because if they're angry at others they're judging others and they're not really looking at their own faults which is why you have people like Jordan Peterson coming along and giving his 12 rules um, you know, to prevent chaos in the world. And one of them is to get up, make your own bed, you know, take a look and solve your own problems. You know, his self-authoring and all these kinds of things. He's trying to get you to take back your responsibility. But we see these people going around taking offense. You said something, that makes me angry, that hurts me. They don't want to admit that it was their choice to become angry. It was their choice to become offended. They take offense. They make themselves offended. They have power and control over that. If they would be forgiving, they won't take offense. You know, people are always, you know, not always, but a lot of people, they come and I says, well, I, I hope this doesn't upset you. Uh, but I, I think that you're wrong here. And I just, you don't upset me because you think I'm wrong. Uh, that it, Because my beliefs don't require that you believe them. Like <laughs> Morpheus. <laughs> uh, I believe what I believe because I believe it. It's It's written in me. And I want it written in me more if it's true. And if you think what I'm saying is not true, show me. I would be I would be glad to hear it. So, anyway, we're coming up on this uh, opportunity of looking at uh, what uh, this one uh, uh, fellow from Canada said, and 
this is a sidetrack again from our tithing page. We already had two sidetracks. Uh, one was uh, the uh, reserve fund. And uh, that was important to understand what the reserve fund was in ancient times. And the other one was FDR and his new deal, which is not that new a deal. It's an old deal. Uh, but now we're going to talk about this, uh, this the delusion of the, the Mr. Canada, uh, who I just referred to as uh, Paul. And we'll do that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And so we're going to take a look at uh, Paul the Canadian and what he said about the fall of the American Empire. Actually, I think he said the fall of the U.S. Empire. We'll take a look at exactly the wording that he uses. Yeah, U.S. Empire, which is more appropriate. Because America is not really a, an empire. America is like a continent. I mean, there's North America and South America. And I guess you could call Central America in there, but that's not really a continent. But that's the divisions of America. It's all, you know, Mexicans are Americans. <laughs> they're, they're Central Americans. And uh, people in Uruguay are Americans, too. They're just South Americans. And because that's where they're from. But it's America is a, a, a land. It's a, it's, it's a country uh, in the sense of land. And we use these words like country and uh, government and uh, uh, nation. Nation is a people. And, uh, you know, there are actually some countries that have multiple nations in them, different peoples living in them, governing themselves in the same country, uh, same political uh, government that's over them, but yet they have their own element of self-governments within that other government. Germany is a big one for a long time. This is why they outlaw homeschooling and everything, and they did it way back in the rise of Hitler, and it's still outlawed in, in uh, Germany today, is because they did not want a competing culture growing up, and they saw that that was the possibility unless you put all the kids in a public school. If some of them were you know, homeschooling, they might develop another culture. And then they they forgot why they made that law. <laughs> and then they uh, brought in multicultures and said, you don't have to assimilate. Well, America has always been a melting pot. It, it was all about coming here and assimilating. You could hold on to your old culture and... and uh, and keep your old culture, but you had to assimilate and become a part of the American community somehow or other. Now, that, even what it means to come a part of the American community, is a, another question. You know, what does that actually mean? Uh, because I, there's a lot of things that I don't engage in in the United States government uh, because I'm seeking to create a, a Christian cultural community and uh, by bringing people together in the name of Christ. But there is that freedom in America to do that. And that should be compatible with the U.S. government as long as the U.S. government is compatible with righteousness. Eventually, there may be a conflict between the true church and the U.S. government, but it will be on the part of the U.S. government, not on the part of the, the true followers of Christ. And, of course, that's what happened in Rome. There was a conflict between the Roman government and 
the the government of the church of of Christ established by Christ. Now, when I say government of the church, people say, "Oh, you know, you're you're talking about some sort of top down government of the church." Government of the church was run by the heads of families. And it wasn't heads of families exercising authority one over the other. It had a certain number of ministers who were like public servants who helped and served the people. But they didn't rule over the people because Christ forbid that they exercise authority one over the other. So the government of Christ was a voluntary community of people coming together to love one another, help one another, be there for one another, not to rule over one another, but to uh, love one another as Christ said that we were. That That's the government of God. That's how that government works. It's not like the governments of the Gentiles, which Jesus said we were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles. He said it in the same verses where he says, I appoint unto you a kingdom, which is like saying I appoint unto you a government. But it's not like the other governments. But that's it's hard for people to think of that because they don't understand. If you say government, they think of some sort of system of force and compliance. But all governments aren't systems of force. Some governments operate according to the perfect law of liberty, <laughs> to charity and love. And that's that's the distinction in Christ, not the fact that you... You know, you have some special verses or words that everybody is supposed to say or you wear some special outfit or your priests wear some special collar or any of those things. Um, that's that's not what distinguishes a Christian. It's what you do and what you do has to conform to Christ and it would not involve covetous practices. It would involve the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And so all these things should be taken into consideration when we're trying to find out what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, and which, of course, would mean that we are all seeking, if we're following Christ and what he said, we should all be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. It's not where you go when you die. It's from generation to generation. It's for the living, because Christ said it's for the living. It's not like the governments of the world. Because Christ said it's not, you're not to be like the governments of the world, but you are to love one another. And you are to have ministers who help feed the sheep. And the only way they do that is through the voluntary support of the people. But the power to decide what minister to support and what minister not to support remains with the people. So uh, that's very important. Because in the governments of the world, the power does not remain with the people. It it remains with the government because their governments are not titular. I mean, some were at one time, but they're not anymore, not anywhere I can see. But the government of God, the leaders, the the ministers, the shepherds are all titular. They don't have any exercising authority one over the other. They They serve, and if they do a good job, then the people should support them in that service. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that service, church service, is about making you feel saved, making you feel righteous, making you feel good. This is why you have so many of these people that you can hurt their feelings by saying something that is contrary to the the image of truth that they have held up in their mind. 
So we just went a big, long, rapid trail and all the way back to the beginning of the last show. <laughs> so, but we're tying this all together. So if you're easily taking offense at what other people say, including me, you may have a problem. So what I'm going to, I'm going to quote Paul here. Paul Hacker is his name, supposedly. I don't know Paul. All I know is this little meme that's going around on Facebook and the internet. And it's all over the place. And so we're going to address it so that if any of you go to preparing you and look up the word fall, you can find this and we'll eventually put audios there that describe what we're talking about. You can just post this page or post the audio (laughs) as a counter argument to what he's saying because he's really leading you down a bad trail. A dangerous rabbit hole that is filled with rattlesnakes. (laughs) Because that's what happens. You know, the snakes go down and eat the babies and then they stay in there when it's too hot outside. (laughs) And so if you were to something else go down that rabbit hole, a mouse hole will end up eaten by the rattlesnake. So anyway, uh, and he doesn't know this. Again, I'm not picking on him. I'm just going to share with you. And you, you see if you can make sense out of it. One of the things, first thing he says here in Canada... Many of us believe we are witnessing the fall of the U.S. empire. And uh, that's a lot of people like to refer to the United States as an empire. Europe does it all the time. And to some degree, it does fit. If you go read our article on Rome, which is probably linked on this page somewhere, just look for the word Rome, uh, you'll see that a lot of things in the United States today, in the United States government, parallels the history of Rome. And, of course, which brings to mind Edward Gibbon's book that was released around 1776, one of the most popular books amongst, uh, it's actually a series of books amongst early Americans, which was The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. And they were reading that so that they would avoid some of the mistakes of the Roman Empire. And understanding what those mistakes were, would you would be enlightened to know what mistakes you might be making today and which many are making today that brought about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Unfortunately, Paul the Canadian doesn't seem to know. He should probably go read Gibbons or at least read some synopsis of it. I mean, it's a lot because, you know, uh, there's quite a few volumes. I've got most of them here. I think I'll have all of them here on the shelf. Um, and uh, I loan books out, and they don't all come back. <laughs> but anyway, you can get copies of them online because it's an old enough book. But anyway, his idea that he's witnessing that is actually true. Unfortunately, that's the end of the truth. <laughs> there is no more. Uh, well, there actually maybe his last statement is the truth, <laughs> but too. But. Uh, so this idea of, uh, you know, uh, we're witnessing that, I think is true. But he goes on to say, and this is how he qualifies this, would a civilized country limit health care and food assistance for the poor? And, you know, when he says civilized, that that's open for all kinds of interpretation. We have an article on, on civil law. Civil law is the law that men make for themselves. Well, good men make good civil law. (laughs) Bad men make bad civil law. So being civilized in itself doesn't tell you whether it's a good country or a bad country. 
I'm going to assume, in the favor of Paul, that he's talking about a moral country would not limit health care and food assistance for the poor. Well, that may need a little unpacking, too. But the reality is the United States does not limit health care and food assistance for the poor. We have absolutely no limits in the United States government on, uh, well, actually you can find a few places they limit. Like if you were to go and hand out food on the street to the poor, they might require you get a license to do that because they have a job to protect their citizens uh, because their citizens are their assets. And so they have a responsibility to protect them. And they don't know how you're fixing that food, so they may want you to get a food handler's license and take some courses on proper handling of food and then open yourself up to inspection to make sure that you're not, you know, fixing the food in a dangerous fashion. You know, when we have potlucks at community meetings, I I often ask, well, who fixed that? Who fixed that? Because I want to know who owns cats. But anyway, <laughs> I don't. I I've been in many homes in the community, and some of the people I don't want anything out of that kitchen. <laughs> I've seen their kitchen, but most people it's it's okay, and and I will usually pick out some of people I know are good cooks and take that food, which is my prerogative. But the the reality is is that uh, there is no limitation in the United States, on health care and food assistance for a moral people. And why do I say that? It's because all the health care and food assistance for Christians, and he makes a reference to Christians, so I'm assuming he's talking about Christians, is through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. It's not through forced contributions. And see, what he's, he seems to want and this is a limited thing. He wants free bread. Well, Rome had free bread. And all historians, both at that time, before the fall of Rome, long before the fall of Rome, Juvenal uh, actually coined, coined the phrase free bread and circuses. Uh, but before that, uh, Polybius was warning that Rome was headed for destruction. This is a hundred years before Christ even. He was warning that it was headed for destruction because of the fact that people had an appetite for benefits at the expense of others and the, and had instituted the rule of force to obtain those benefits. I don't think Paul knows that. It doesn't sound like he understands that because there is no limit to charity in America. There is a limit to forced contributions and the forced redistribution of wealth. But the fact is you have forced contribution and redistribution of wealth, you've already entered the realm of foolishness and self-destruction. And which is, again, that suicidal spirit is now getting a grip in you. Paul doesn't seem to get that. He doesn't realize that. But anyway, he goes on. His next thing is leave crops rotting in the field. Well, I know a lot of people in America uh, that are farmers. They seldom leave crops rotting in the field if there's a market for it. <laughs> they will want to get those markets out there uh, and get the, the to the market, and they're very good at it. Now, where I saw crops rotting in the field was the Soviet Union, 
where they had collective farms, where the guys would put up, you know, they'd plant potatoes, you know, hundreds, thousands of acres of potatoes, but they wouldn't get around to harvesting them quick enough. And then, of course, in some of the northern climates, you would get, they'd get snowed in. And those uh, crops would be destroyed and frozen, the potatoes frozen in the ground, and they didn't get them harvested. This is a big problem back when I was growing up in the Soviet I didn't grow up in the Soviet Union. When I was growing up in the Soviet Union, this was reported as a big problem that a lot of times they did not effectively make the harvest. I worked up in North Dakota on wheat farms, and my uh, uncle once had a crop snowed in. It was a flax crop. Not uh, He got his wheat up, but uh, he didn't quite get to the last flax crop. But there was a early snowfall and uh, ended up having to turn that whole crop back into the soil, uh, which is good for the soil, uh, although it's hard to do it with flax. But he was working at it. He was hard every day out there early in the morning because he was a capitalist. And he, and he was doing this to support his family and to support his community. And that's what made America great is that people went out and worked and got that. When you're in a socialist state, you're going to get paid whether you get all the potatoes picked or not. And so they don't ha- they aren't necessarily up. Like I know guys sleeping in their pickup at 3 o'clock in the morning, waiting for the dew so that they can start bailing when it is most efficient. They do it not only for themselves, but they do it for their neighbor because they have this honor and morality built into them. That So Americans don't leave crops rotting in the field. You want to see crops rotting in the field, you could go to the Soviet Union and you would have seen it in abundance rotting in the field. And also at times you'd see people rotting in the field because of the plagues of their socialist government who just took all the grain from them and and sold it to get capital for the government and left the people to starve. And I mean, they were piling up bodies like cordwood because of these policies of governments who could exercise authority and become the tyrants. And if you go back and you actually study history and learn about Polybius, learn about uh, uh, Plutarch and and what the, the free bread and circuses, how it brought Rome down and altered the character of the people in society, you would realize that the, leaving crops and rotting in the field is not something you find in America. I planted, I plant more than enough for our family's use every year. That's what you do as a farmer. You always plant more than you're going to need because you're going to sell that, even more than you're going to need to sell in order to make ends meet because you never know if the crop's going to fail. I've seen, you know, hailstorms come along and just mow down wheat fields, you know, just like somebody went through with a mower and just smashed it into the ground. So you never know when that's going to happen. So you always produce extra because you may have a crop failure for a year or two even. And we've seen them where bring about famines for in you know where the crops failed for seven years in a row and um and i've I've wrote recently and added to our page on Acts eleven and explaining about one of these famines that are mentioned in the Bible and where it came from and where it did not come from, and it came from 
uh, crop failures that were a combination of the socialist nature of Rome and bad weather. And the two brought about devastating famines. In America, because it was used to be a capitalist uh, culture, that was not a problem. And as soon as we went to capitalism instead of socialism, if you go back on our articles that we show this in the early pilgrims, starvation ended. Socialism brings starvation and crops rotting and failed, not uh, capitalism. I don't think Paul knows that. He talks about destroying our educational system. Well, in the kingdom of God, the educational system is homeschool. <laughs> that's, a, that's the way it was. Fathers, teach thy sons. That doesn't say, fathers, ship thy sons off to go somewhere else and get an education. Um, it's very important that uh, you take control of your child's education. That doesn't mean you can't create one-room schoolhouses and, uh, and do it in, in a community basis. I much prefer homeschooling and then having uh, community-supported homeschooling where you have these homeschooling clubs and gatherings where the kids get to do a lot of in- interacting. Fortunately, when my co- kids were homeschooled, there were at least two other families near us, and there was only about three families near us, and they were all homeschooling too, so the, the kids had lots of social interaction. But the reality was they got a much better education at home than they would have got in the schools. And uh, I just talked to uh, uh, a, uh, a school teacher and administrator and principal for years and years. You've retired now. And he was talking about a particular school and said, well, it's a pretty good school. And I pointed out that the high school graduates could not pass an eighth grade math test from 1945 or 1932 or, or many of these tests. They couldn't, they could not answer the problems in a fifth grade math book of 1945 because I've got them out here in the shop and I was astounded that the, the amount of mathematical and vocabulary that kids were expected to know by the time they got out of eighth grade far surpassed what kids are expected to know when they get out of high school today. And so, no, the schools are not doing a good job. They've been tampered with. Another whole story, and we have articles up on that, schools as tools and uh, and videos and everything else explaining that so you can understand. So destroying the educational system is destroying the home, destroying the family, because a free society, that's where it needs to be is in the home. And homes need to come together because that's how communities get stronger is that communities come together and help one another educate one another's children. So Hillary Clinton was right when she said it takes a village, a community to raise a child. But it takes a community of love, not a community of force. You do not force your neighbor's kids into schools. You do not force your neighbors to pay for your education or your child's education you come together in a voluntary society that's what will make your nation great whether it's canada or america or australia or or germany is that it's people willing to help one another and sacrifice of themselves to help their neighbor as much as themselves this is the this is the christian way he doesn't seem to get that he thinks destroying the public school system is becoming less reliant upon public education. Uh, He didn't actually say public school. He said destroy educational system. 
the educational system is contributing to the breakdown of the family. Social security is contributing to the breakdown of the family. Welfare is contributing to the breakdown of communities. Just go to Detroit. Go to the ghettos in, in Baltimore and tell me that the families are not being broken down. You know, our statistics and our article on divide uh, at Preparing You show you that uh, in uh, uh, 1903, uh, only about 3% or in the early 1900s, about 3% of black American families had one parent. And many of those that had one parent was because of a death in the family, you know, of one of the spouses. Today, 75% of the black children, black families in America are being raised in single-parent homes. This is a direct result, not of slavery. Well, it is sort of a slavery. It's of the welfare state that's bringing that about. That's what brought about the fall of Rome. Is the breakdown of the family. And they, they spelled this out in book after book. Decline and fall of the Roman Empire. The cessation of marriage. People were living together rather than getting married. They weren't remaining. They weren't keeping their marriage vows. Um, it, it was a general breakdown of family. When, when the emperors ran for office. When they were still having an election by the electoral college. Um, which was what elected the emperors there for a while which was through the Senate, which was their electoral college, they ran on the basis of supporting family values because they Rome saw the breakdown of the family values. But it was breaking down for what Polybius was saying. And, and we don't understand that we're doing the same thing that Polybius said that was going to destroy Rome. And we're doing the same thing that Edward Gibbons said was the cause of the destruction of Rome and the lives and times of uh, Jesus Christ it tells us the same thing it step by step explains how society was being destroyed Christ was a social reformer if you follow his teachings you're going to be socially reformed that is you're going to see the works of that social reform in your society if you're actually following Christ. Unfortunately, many Christians today have more in common with the Pharisees and Rome than they do with Christ. They say, Lord, Lord. They say they love Jesus, but they're not doing the things that he said to do. They're not, you know, and Jesus said, it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is to not covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of government, but to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That's simple. Now, if that offends you, you got a problem. Because all I did was say what Jesus said. If you find that offensive, then you got a problem. And you need to take a look at that and repent and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, go another way. That's what repentance means. To go another way. And you, can, the beauty of this is you can start going that other way right now. You can turn around and start going that other way individually. Yeah, and uh, now if you bring this message to your local church, you may get cast out. They may not accept it. So do a little homework before you run out there. And that's 
That's why we've created all these websites with live links. So you can go and you can you can go find out. Oh, so that's why they had a golden calf. That was the problem of the golden calf. Oh, oh, that that's what the altars were for. Oh, oh, that's why the leave. Oh, that's why Jesus said, if you're going to be one of my disciple ministers, that I'm going to appoint the kingdom to, you have to sell all that you have. Oh my gosh. You know, that's not going to be real popular with most pastors today. Certainly not Joe Olstein. <laughs> he's not, he's not going to like that rule. <laughs> but, you know, the fact is, is, you know, you can, if you hear me say something you're not used to hearing, I understand that may be a shock. But you got to check it out. you got to look at the facts. And it may be a little uncomfortable. But I'm not saying it to offend you. I'm saying it so I don't offend God. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, we're going to uh, Paul the Canadian's... Uh, look at the problem with the decline and fall of the U.S. empire. And it seems like at every turn he's got things backwards from what history would actually tell us would cause the decline and fall of any empire, and, which is well documented throughout history. And that's what why, that's why we have so many of the live links on this page so you can go actually read and find out what it is that will cause the decline and fall of any government. And one of the things that uh, was first listed in the Bible that would cause the decline and fall of the government of Saul was that he had done a foolish thing. And you can look up the link that we have there that explains what Samuel was talking about when he said to Saul that his kingdom would not stand because he had done something foolish. What foolish thing did Saul do that is actually done every day by all the governments of the quote-unquote world that is going to cause them self-destruction? Suicide. They are literally committing suicide by doing this one extremely common, well-accepted thing that Paul is accustomed to. But I'm not going to tell you. Because I already wrote it down and got a whole page explaining it, going back to the original language, what was happening at the time, why Samuel wrote it. Now, to be fair to poor Saul, going back to what Abraham Lincoln says, you want to see the character of a man, give him power. And we've known for centuries that uh, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And he was, and Samuel, even before they elected the first king, told the people that if you decide to have a king, this is what he's going to do. Samuel 8, you can go look it up. Uh, if you don't, Like if you don't have a Bible, go look it up. Go look up Thomas Paine's Common Sense because he quotes the whole thing there. He says that your leader, that you're going to make a ruler over you, is going to take and 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 take. And that's why they're voting to raise the debt ceiling, which is going to curse your children with that raised debt ceiling, which Peter said you would do because you were going to be doing this foolish thing. And he he actually describes the foolish thing. And those of you who hear us regularly, these should become 
memorized by you by now, because we've said them so much, that Peter was prophesying what you would do. Just the same as Samuel was prophesying what would happen if you decide to elect a man who could exercise authority, a ruler, a king, a president, a prime minister, whatever you want, you know, Merkel, whoever you elect. They're going to bring about destruction. They're going to take and take and take and take and you're going to cry out and God's not even going to hear you. That's what Samuel said and that's true. Now if you want God to hear you, you've got to turn around and do what Christ said. Repent and start doing the will of the Father. Start doing these things not through government, through love of one another, taking care of one another with absolutely <laughs> no limits on health care and food assistance. Again, I mentioned earlier about Mother Teresa. And they were complaining that Mother Teresa was doing this tough love thing. They didn't say tough love. They said that she was actually requiring people to change. To be converted in their minds, at least. In order to receive some of her charity. And, and that's reasonable. If, if a guy... If, if you give... <laughs> You get this from the the book Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw, who was a socialist. He even tells you that, you know, if you give a man too much, you'll weaken him. You know, he explains this. You know, Eliza's father, he didn't want too much money. He just wanted a little bit of money because he gave me too much. I was going to start feeling responsible. (laughs) And I might, you know, start becoming thrifty but no just give me enough to go out and have a bender and get drunk because that's all he wanted uh, it weakens you if you give charity in the wrong way you weakens the people you give it to and that's what Sodom and Gomorrah did in a time of affluence they did not strengthen the poor they they had free bread but they were not strengthening the poor they were weakening them and by weakening them, the best way to do that is to weaken the family, which is why you've gone from 3% single-parent families to 75% single-parent families. And you're wondering why that uh, the ratio of murders in the black community is so high. It's not because they're black. It's because they've had 50 years of welfare. <laughs> In those communities, it's destroying the communities because it's been this kind of welfare that had no limits. You get it because you're poor. We're we're going to feed you because you have the virtue of being poor, and you have the virtue of abandoning your families, and the virtue of reproducing with three, four different guys, so that you get more and more children because you get a bigger and bigger check. That is actually happening. And it's destroying the family. But even the families that don't want to do that, don't want to take advantage of, you're still weakening them because you're not requiring them to morally and culturally change in order to get that assistance. When the charity is in the hands of the, it's private charity, you'd be surprised. Like I said, you know, they, they tell you this, you don't work, don't eat. That's a biblical concept. Well, if you're if you're not moral, if you're not trying to order your life according to moral basic standards, we shouldn't help you. We we should not help you be immoral because you're just going to teach 
that immorality to your own children. And we see it now. The kingdom of hell. It's not just the kingdom of heaven that is generation to generation. But the kingdom of hell is from generation to generation. The kingdom of famines is from generation to generation. You're creating the problem by not actually being a Christian, which he eventually brings up. He goes on to accuse us of target women uh, and attempt to eliminate their reproduction rights while refusing to help the resulting babies. Well, America doesn't refuse to help the resulting babies. All these people... All these people will have these children and then get on welfare and be helped. Uh, that That's available to them. But again, that welfare should be through charity. And I, in our show where we showed the history of welfare in Australia and uh, how when the unwed mothers were taken care of by the church and not always well because the, the church wasn't always doing what the real church was doing. These are people posing as the church sometimes. But many times they were doing it well. You can always find where people are doing it poorly or badly or abusing these young girls. But the reality is is that the young girls had who got pregnant out of wedlock did not usually get pregnant out of wedlock again. <laughs> they got their lives together. There was a huge change in that statistic. Uh, at first, the government was just going to help the church. By 1960, they were taking over the role and eliminating, by statute, any moral requirement for being helped. In other words, the girl could continue to get pregnant, continue to live with her boyfriend, continue to remain unmarried, and she would get a check in the mail. No moral restrictions. And, of course, what happened was you had more and more children being born on welfare. And children being born on welfare were more likely to end up on welfare themselves. And children in single-parent families on welfare are more likely to end up in jail or in Chicago shot dead. It's just it's just statistics. It doesn't mean that they're condemned to it. But the likelihood of it rises dramatically. So his solution is the solution that brought Rome down, not up. And his statement of targeting women uh, and uh, attempt to eliminate their reproduction rights, I'm pretty sure he's talking about the right to abortion. The right to abortion is not a reproductive right. It's a right to murder the child in your womb. And that is not, in order for it to be a reproduction right, it has to do with reproducing. If you don't reproduce, it's not a reproduction right. It's a, it's a right to terminate reproduction. The right to murder the child. And I mean, if you want to talk about women's rights, you have to remember that over 50% of those children that are aborted or murdered in the wombs of their mothers are women. What about their reproduction rights? I come from a long line of dead people. Thousands and thousands of years, men have been producing a family, raising that family in order to get me to here. Because my father survived childhood, my grandfather survived childhood, my great-grandfather survived 
childhood, and so with my grandmother and great-grandmother and great-great-grandma. They all survived childhood so that they could engage in the right of reproduction. And they did not abort their descendants. That's reproduction rights. The millions upon millions of children. I mean, they don't want to put up uh, a few billion dollars for uh, a wall to protect society, the, the Democrats, which I, you know, again, I'm not going to take a position on that, except that if you're going to have a socialist state, you need to create barriers there. If you're going to have uh, thousands of people using those open barriers to bring in uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking, you should put up some sort of limits to that. If you think a wall will do it and they need it, go ahead. It's fine with me. That's your choice. But the reality is that 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 this uh, uh, money that they won't put to the wall, they just voted to put it to abortion worldwide. They're, they're putting more money to abortion worldwide than they are to a wall that will prevent sex trafficking to some degree. I don't know if it will prevent. I mean, it's a big wall. <laughs> but it's certainly going to curtail it. It's certainly going to make it more difficult. And same way with bringing in heroin that kills thousands of people. I mean, the cost of not having a wall, as long as you're going to have a socialist state, far exceeds the cost of the wall. Far exceeds it yearly uh, to society because society is footing the bill of these thousands, millions of people that are are coming in here to do bad things and be lazy and be selfish. I mean, there are people coming in. I've worked with I've worked with uh, legal and illegal immigrants in the fields. I know, knew them on a personal basis, broke bread with them. A lot of great people there. But everybody who comes across the border is not a great person. <laughs> That's just a fact. And uh, we're getting a lot of people coming across the border that are bad people. And they deport them, and they come right back again. And And the sanctuary cities, it's just to get your vote so that People like Pelosi, and uh, who is now a millionaire, been in office long enough to become a multimillionaire, not on a salary. People don't, I mean, the records are right there. You know, they, they want to, it's just ridiculous. People are so biased. But anyway, there is no limit on your reproductive rights. Uh, there is a limit on murdering the child in your womb. And that's, but that's become acceptable in the minds of many people, that that's okay. It's it's not okay with God. And I'm not even, I don't want to outlaw abortion because I don't want to make more laws. The more laws, according to Tacitus, the more corrupt society. To me, abortion's already outlawed. It's outlawed by God. It's called murder. And so, I don't want to create a civil society that outlaws it, but I don't want to allow a civil society that forces me to pay for your murder of your child, the murder of your child. I don't want to pay for that. I don't want to encourage it. I want to discourage it. I don't want to give you money to, to make that happen. I want to help people come together so it doesn't have to happen. I can't stop every murder in the world. Um, but I don't want, I don't want to be a part of all these murders either. So anyway, there is no limitation on your reproduction rights. 
Uh, and I, I don't even see the U.S. government refusing to help the resulting babies. And, and uh, we would help unwed mothers learn what it is to be a family and take care of their children. If they want to go full term, we, we can have ways of helping them go full term. Uh, but we certainly don't want to pay for their abortion. And it goes on, abuse desperate immigrants. Well, this guy is falling for the the media hype. Nobody treats uh, illegal immigrants better than the United States. That isn't the problem. Uh, yeah, they take children away from, you know, people who might be their parents until they can find out whether they are their parents and who they are and why they have this small child coming across the border. But they take children away. They can't. If you commit a crime, you're supposed to go to jail. If you go, they, they're releasing these people daily and give them a court date and you're supposed to come back. They don't come back. They're in the country and they, they, they be in the country. And by having this ridiculous policy of revolving door and letting people in, deporting people and letting them come back across the border, is actually causing the deaths of children and women and people out in the desert you don't see. But you don't see the abortion either. So you think that's perfectly... You don't, you don't want to see the child being torn apart and trying to escape the forceps. You don't want to look at that. You see, because you don't want to see the truth. And that's why when I talk about the truth, you get offended. It's because you don't want to look at the truth. You want to, you want to believe in the image that you have created in your mind of what you think the truth is. But it's not the truth. Uh, because you have a socialist society, millions of people are going to die. And people, and, and people are dying already. And their lives are being destroyed. And they are committing suicide. And, uh, and committing uh, daily practices that lead to suicide. Because you're not really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You've become accustomed to the rule of force and violence. To do what you think is good. And it's not. It's, it's not good. Abortion is a violent act against the most defenseless people in humanity, which is the unborn. And I can tell you this, that if a woman carries that child, she might be a little bit more careful about getting pregnant again. People say, oh, what about rape and incest? Not the statistical reality. We need to change our ways. And he goes on to say, pretend to believe in Christianity while perverting and debasing its tenets. Its tenets is to live not by force, not by covetous practices, but by love, by charity. The word love and the word charity can be from the same exact word. They talk about grace. Well, the word grace is actually where we get the word charity. Charis in the Greek is the word that they translate into grace. You want grace from God? You want to be saved by the grace of God? Then you need to extend grace to others. You need to extend charity to others. Compassion to others. And a charity that strengthens others. Makes them a greater moral agent in society instead of a slothful, apathetic, self-indulging parasite on society. That requires tough love. 
And because we're not doing that, because we're doing all the things, the U.S. is doing all the things that it's doing. I'm not doing all those things. I want you to gather together and start caring for one another. That's going to require you to forgive. I see people trying to gather in congregations and they're dividing one another through their personal doctrines and view of doctrines. You know, I mean, do you do you do that in your family? Do you care about one another? You know, I will speak the truth. And we were going over this with a lot of things. Actually, with that principle, I was pointing out some of the things that I had said to other people. And I was starting to realize, like, oh, God, Zoops, I said that to them <laughs> when I was in military service. I mean, I I said things to sergeants and lieutenants and captains. I called them out over the carpet and got away with it. <laughs> and they just stood there dumbfounded. Because there's power in the truth. People don't like the truth. People who don't love the truth don't like the truth. They are offended by the truth. And the truth is, I don't think Paul's a Christian. <laughs> Paul the Canadian is not a Christian. He's not doing what Christ said. He actually seems to be opposing what Christ said. He seems to be in favor of what the Pharisees said. Their system of Corbin was a system of forced offerings come about because this is the way that Rome began to go a hundred years before Christ. Really got going that way about 50 years before, or 25 years before Christ under Augustus Caesar. And was well on its way under Tiberius. And certainly under Claudius and Nero. And it was causing the decline and fall of that nation. So, Paul the Canadian is right when he says those who pretend to believe in Christianity while preventing, uh, perverting and debasing its tenets are very much the problem. For they are under a strong delusion. They think they are doing great works as followers of Christ by the promotion of socialism. But they are actually workers of iniquity. And he ends his statement with uh, the world is watching. Well, I'm telling him that the Lamb is watching and the holy angels are watching. And and he is, and, and many others in America and Canada and Australia are in need of repentance. And that repentance is to come together as Christ commanded, which is what the church was supposed to be telling everybody to do. It's come together in, not in big, huge, you know, cathedrals, but in congregations of ten families, linked together by ministers who are literally the public servants of the community, and they uh, organize into ten congregations of ten until they have hundreds and thousands and gather together in a network of charity and take care of one another, according to James unspotted by the world and the word world there is constitutional order it's not unspotted by the planet it's unspotted by the governments of the world in other words the governments who exercise authority one over the other the governments who force the contributions of the people this is this is a basic principle is known long before christ it was known by john the baptist is why he says you know if people have needs in your community you're supposed to be doing it by charity. That's that's the, the whole of the gospel according to John the Baptist. That if you have two coats, share with those that have none. 
and do the same in meats. That's how you're supposed to be taking care of your health care, your welfare, and your society. Through charity. Not through force. Not through violence. But unfortunately, people have become so accustomed to this idea of force and violence that that is okay to live at the expense of others. That they they continually gauge more and more into the free bread of Rome and less and less into the ways of Christ. And so they aren't really Christians. And that, that's a serious that's a serious problem that we see today all throughout the world. And we we need to repent of that. And like I say, we don't need to make everybody else change. We need to change ourselves. We need to change the way in which we relate to one another. And uh, see, I have enough time, I think, to do it. I'll read real quick that quote of Polybius, you know, a hundred and some years before John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were preaching. He's a historian of historians, so he had learned from history. He knew. Unfortunately, Paul, the Canadian, has not learned from history. But Polybius said, The masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of a rule of force and violence. That's using the government to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. And if you don't contribute, men with guns show up at your house. And you think you're a Christian? You think you're going to be free? You think you're civilized? Well, maybe you are civilized, but you're not moral. But anyway, the people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and depend for their livelihood on the property of others institute the rule of violence. And now uniting forces, massacres, and banishes and plunders one another until they are fit savages for the first monarch or dictator despot that comes along. That's where we're at. Peace on your house. See you on the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net